What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Aren't you glad for the shade? I'm just saying. What a day. And how many of you guys are looking at me right now and you see I'm wearing jeans and you just feel very sorry for me? Yeah, this was a mistake. That's all I'm saying. So, man, I'm so glad that uh, you guys are here. I'm glad to be with you. My name is Jason Mitchell, and um, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors at LCBC Church. In, um, what's up, everybody? LCBC stands for Lives Changed by Christ. We're a church, lots of locations across Pennsylvania, and um, man, it has just been my privilege to be a part of that movement for the last 15 years, and, uh, and it's also my honor and my privilege to be here with you today. Are you guys having a good experience so far at Creation? Good. Good. It's been so fun talking to you guys and hearing some of the things that you're learning and that you're experiencing and just the fun, whether it's the concerts or some of the, uh, the speakers. I've loved hearing about that. In fact, um, when we're done here today, between 3 and 4, I'm actually going to be down at um, the tent where the merchandise is and all that. My latest book is called No Easy Jesus, and um, you can get it there if you want to meet me. But more than anything, I would just love to connect with you. And so I would just love the chance to meet you. I'll be signing books and all that, but more importantly, just love to get the chance to connect with you. I just want to share some things that have been on my heart um, recently, some of the things that are kind of underneath the book, um, but probably just more importantly, some of the things that God's been working in my life uh, over the last several years um, that I know I've just been journeying and asking God to take me deeper in some different um, ways. And so I just want to share a little bit about that with you. I think one of the things that is, it is almost an epidemic in the church today is this idea that we are compelled by that promise that Jesus makes in John 10.10. 10. It's a promise that probably many of you have heard before. Maybe you've seen it on the back of a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it on a magnet or maybe you've seen it on a t-shirt. And it's when Jesus says that I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. You ever heard that? That I came to give you life and life to the fullest, right? And something in us, when we hear that, we're compelled by that idea. That we want that, right? We'd say, man, I want that life, Jesus. Whatever that full, rich, abundant life is, I'll take it. But one of the things as a pastor that I've come to discover, and one of the things that I've experienced in my own personal life, is that more often than not, that sense of being compelled by that life that Jesus offers, that sense of being motivated and captivated by that life, it gets hijacked at some point along the line by us sitting around waiting for it to be handed to us. It's almost like, God, I want that life. Jesus, I want that life, so give it to me. But that's not the way it works. The life that Jesus promises isn't a life that's handed to us. It's a life that we have to go after. It is a gift. Make no mistake about it. But like any gift, at some point it has to be opened. Are we tracking? At some point you have to chase after the very thing that you're hoping that God would have for you. And on the other side, and sometimes that requires tough decisions. That requires choices that we have to make. We have to live with intention. We have to choose to go after the kind of life that God has called us into. But on the other side of those tough choices, man, that's where the life is. That's where the life is. And I don't know about you if you can relate to this at all, but I've had seasons in my own life where I've gotten stuck, where I felt like I'm not going anywhere, where I felt frustrated, where I felt like I don't have any more energy, where I felt like I'm not hearing from God anymore where my time spent in the scriptures is just empty, where I feel like I'm just doing it out of duty. Can anybody relate to that? Where it almost feels like your tank is just dry. And I remember times in my life where um, I'm sitting there and I'm wanting so badly for God to speak. 
and I'm wanting so badly for God to do something in my life, and it just feels like I'm not hearing anything. And you sit there and go, man, God, are you silent? Are you not talking? Have I missed something? And a few years ago, at a personal level, about six, seven years ago, um, I was just on empty. I actually remember driving to the church one night. It was a Saturday night, and I was about to speak at our church, and I got to within about two miles of the church, mile and a half of our church, and I could look over, and I saw the building, and I just start weeping in my car. And the reason why I started weeping as I saw the church building is because I know in about an hour from now, I got to get up on that stage and I got to open up the Bible and I got to say something about Jesus and I got to say something to inspire people to follow Jesus more clearly. And yet I got nothing to say. And I was broken by that. And that moment for me began a deep search in my life to figure out man, how did I end up at this place where I feel so empty? And what I felt like in that moment is that I'd become a spectator on the life of following Jesus. You know what I mean? Where you're sitting on the sidelines, you're kind of up in the bleachers, but you're not really playing the game. And yet, over and over and over again, when you look at the scriptures, the invitation that God makes to us is not to be a spectator on the mission and the calling that God places in our life. It's not to be a spectator on the work that God is doing in this world. The invitation has always been to be a participant, to join him in this rescue mission that he's going after. And I found that I have some friends along the way in that sort of empty season that I was going through, that season where I felt like I was a spectator. I found that I have some friends that I'm not alone because I begin to talk to people at our church and talk to friends of mine. They're like, man, I've been there, and I feel that way right now. And again, maybe some of you relate to that. And I also found some friends in the Bible One of them was Jeremiah in particular, because Jeremiah was a prophet. A prophet was someone who was kind of set apart by God to be his mouthpiece, to go and to do something, to to speak for God on behalf of who he was. And, And Jeremiah got to this place where he felt empty. He felt like he was just a spectator now. And there's this one chapter where he is in chapter 12 of Jeremiah. He's complaining, and he's saying, God, where are you? Have you gone silent? God, I feel like I'm being faithful to you. God, I feel like I'm doing the things that you're calling me to do and to be about the things that you're calling me to be about. And yet, God, I have nothing to show for it. And God responds to Jeremiah with one of the most fascinating verses, fascinating statements in all of the Bible. It is such a great question. He doesn't come alongside Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, everything's going to be okay. He doesn't come alongside Jeremiah and say, oh, Jeremiah, you can do this. Come on, buddy, I got you. In fact, it's kind of a, it's, it's a fascinating question that he asked Jeremiah. You know what he says? He says, Jeremiah, if racing against men makes you tired, how are you ever going to race against horses? <laughs> Isn't that a weird question, by the way? If racing against men makes you tired, how are you going to ever race against horses? I imagine Jeremiah in that moment scratching his head. What are you talking about? I don't know if I want to race against. What are you even talking about racing against horses? But you think about what God's saying for a second. God's saying, Jeremiah, what did you sign up for? When you signed up to follow me, when you signed up to join me in the mission that I have going on in this world, what did you think? Did you think it was going to be easy? Is that what you thought? Because you're mistaken. Oh, you thought it was just, you thought it wasn't going to demand anything of you? Did you think there weren't going to be seasons where it was tough? Did you not think there were going to be seasons where you felt empty? Is that what you thought? 
Jeremiah, if you want to just run a race that everybody, if you want ordinary, if you want average, then just race people. Just race with men. But if you are brave enough to step into the life that I'm calling you into, where you can race with horses, well, that's going to cost you something. That's going to that's going to demand something of you. But which race do you want to run, Jeremiah? And man, that question rattled around in my heart. Because I was in that same season where I found myself a little bit empty and a little bit stuck, and I felt God issuing that same question thousands of years later to me. Jason, which race do you want to run? What kind of life do you want to run? Do you just want to race against men? Like anybody can do that. That's average. That's normal. That's what's expected. Or do you want to race with horses? Do you want to run with horses? Do something that other people maybe aren't willing to do. And I would throw the same question out to you today. Which race do you want to run in life? Do you want to settle for average? Do you want to settle for ordinary? Do you want to just settle for what everybody else around you is doing? Do you want to just settle for just kind of going where the crowds are going? Do you want to just settle for what everybody else tells you makes a successful life? Or would you be brave enough? To take up the call of God and say, or do you want to race with horses? Do you want to run with horses and do something that maybe you didn't even think you had in your capacity to do? And Jeremiah decided to run with horses. And you know how we know he decided to run with horses? Because we have the book of Jeremiah today. And we see how his life played out. And we see what he became about, even when it cost him. And I think that that decision by Jeremiah to run with the horses was rooted in one of the very first encounters that Jeremiah actually has with God. And I want to look at this one encounter that he has with God. It's the opening scene of the, scene of the entire book of Jeremiah. It's where God first shows up and issues this compelling call in Jeremiah's life. I want to look at this with you and just kind of unpack that there's three words, three core ideas that if we can get these today right here, at creation 2017, if we can let these words and these ideas burn themselves deep into our hearts, I'm telling you, it can change things for us. It can root us in something deeper that would enable us to run with horses and not just settle for just running with men. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, the Lord gave me this message. So again, first words of God on Jeremiah's life. This is what God said to him. I knew you. I knew you. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as my prophet. Now you think about it. This is the first time you've heard the voice of God. And God shows up and says, Jeremiah, I want you to know a few things. Jeremiah, i got something for you. Jeremiah, I have a different race for you. I'm going to call you to run with horses, but before we even get there, Jeremiah, I want you to know a few core things about who you are and who I am. And he says, the first thing I want you to know, Jeremiah, is that you are known. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And that is a powerful statement, that idea that, that we are known by God. I mean, just think about that for a second. You cannot read the scriptures. You cannot 
engage the story of Jesus and come away with an idea that there is a distant, detached, impersonal God. There is no big man upstairs. This God revealed in Scripture and most clearly in Jesus is a God who knows us, who is personal, who knows everything about us, who created us, who is intimately involved in our lives. And the way when it says that he knows us, it's kind of like the idea of like, like a master craftsman creating a piece of art. And when that master craftsman or when that painter creates a piece of art and they see that work of art, they know that work of art, don't they? But they don't know it objectively. They know it because they were invested in it. They know it because they created it. They're involved with it. And God says, I know you like that. In fact, you know what's fascinating when it says that I knew you before I formed you. The noun of that idea formed you there. The, ni- the noun of that is the, the noun that's translated in other places in the Old Testament as potter. It's almost literally saying, I pottered you. I crafted you. I hand crafted you. You have been uniquely designed. I want you to know this because some of you are here today and you are struggling with who you are, who you've been made to be. You're struggling with the uniqueness of who you are. I want you to know you have been handcrafted by God. His hands have been intimately involved in making you who you are. You have been uniquely designed by God. He says, I know you, and I formed you. When I was in seminary, um, there's not a lot of exciting things when you're in seminary. I'm just saying that right now, but there's one exciting night. Because my professor, uh, who was teaching this particular course, he had been an archaeologist in Israel a couple of years before he started teaching in the seminary. And one night, um, we were studying the time of Abraham at this moment in the class, and one night he brings in this briefcase, and it is it's like a metal briefcase. It's got locks all over it. It looks like it carries the nuclear launch codes. I mean, this thing is locked down. And he brings it in. He sets it on the desk. And, of course, everybody in class is sitting there going, dude, what is in the nuclear launch code briefcase? What is in this thing? So he calls everybody around him. He's like, everybody, come here, come here, come here, come here. And he opens up this briefcase, latch by latch. We're all sitting there going, what is in this thing? And he opens it up. And there is a piece of pottery, and I promise you, it is not much bigger than a quarter. And we're looking at this thing, and we all think we're supposed to know what it is. And so we go, wow, what is that? And he goes, that's a piece of pottery from Israel, from Palestine, from the time of Abraham. We uncovered that. And the piece of pottery was so Beautiful. You should have seen the colors. As bright as any of the shirts we have right now in this crowd. It was that bright. And you think about what pottery did for a second. Pottery in the ancient world, when you didn't have a way to store grain, you didn't have a way to store food, you didn't have a way to keep your things safe and protected from animals and all that, pottery was a revolutionary technology. So pottery was incredibly useful. It had a, you know, a, a, an element that it was utilized. It had a functionality to it, right? It served a purpose. But that wasn't what captivated us that night as we were looking around at that little quarter-sized piece of pottery. What captivated our attention was its design. It was its color. 
They didn't have to paint that thing. It could have just been a blank, you know, a, a bland pottery piece sitting. But something in them wanted to create something unique. Something in them wanted to show creative expression. And we're sitting there all looking at this thing, this beautiful piece of pottery. And you think about what this means for a second for you when God says, I formed you. I formed you. I pottered you. It means that you are useful. You have a function. You have a part to play in this world. You are not, you are not useless. But not only that, it also means that you have an element in you that God has designed uniquely. That in the history of the world, up until this day, and from the history as long as God has us in this world, as far in the future in advance, there will never, ever be someone put together like you. You're it. That's a crazy thought when you think of it. That you have been placed at this unique moment in human history for a purpose by the master potter who says, I know you. I formed you. And some of us today need to let that truth sink deep into our hearts because we've been struggling with who we are. We've been struggling with our usefulness, thinking that we're not very useful. God says, back up. I formed you. You, are, you have been handcrafted for the life that you have been given. Handcrafted for it. But not only that, you remember what God said next to Jeremiah? He says, Jeremiah, first I want you to know that I know you, that you are known. But then he goes on and says, and before you were born, I set you apart. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know, the idea behind being set apart is the idea of being chosen. Being chosen, of being singled out. And someone saying, I choose you. You guys know how good that feels? <laughs> to be chosen? You ever had that experience of being chosen? I mean, that sticks with you. I actually will never forget, I, Dave Busby told this story once that, and he was probably 45 when I heard him tell me this story. When he was 11 years old, uh, he was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, Dave was, and and his brother was a senior in high school. And his brother was an incredible basketball player. Like, everyone in the community knew him. Everyone in the city knew him. And he was an incredible basketball player. And every Saturday morning, and by the way, Dave was not. Dave was the kind of basketball player where he dribbled the ball once, and then he looked around and he was like, where'd that go? Right? He can't even find it anymore. That's Dave. And every Saturday morning, Dave's oldest brother would get together his big, strong, hairy, high school senior friends, and they would get together and they would play a game of pickup basketball in the cul-de-sac. And Dave, every Saturday, would watch this happen. And he wanted to be out there so bad with them. So one Saturday, Dave gets his courage up enough as he's sitting there eating his fruity pebbles or whatever he was eating. And he looks out and he sees his brother and these guys playing basketball. And he says, Mom, today's different. I'm going out there and I'm going to play basketball with them. His mom said, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said, son. You know you can't play. And he says, it doesn't matter, I'm going. So he goes out there. 11-year-old Dave, 18 other big, strong high school seniors. 
And you know, if you've ever played a game of pickup basketball, you know how it goes. You shoot for captains, right? And so they shoot for captains. And because Dave's brother never misses, of course, he's a captain. And then you finally get the two captains, and then you shoot for who gets first pick. And because Dave's brother never misses, Dave gets, Dave's brother gets first pick. And then there's 18 high school seniors in a line. And Dave. And Dave's brother reaches out to make his first pick. And he starts at the end of the line. And that big, long finger keeps coming down the line until finally it lands on Dave in front of all of his peers and all of his friends. Dave's brother says, Dave, I have the first pick, and I choose you. And Dave slowly walks out of that line, walks up to his brother, puts his little 11-year-old head on his brother's chest in front of all of his friends and just starts sobbing. And Dave Dave's brother holds him like this as he continues to make his picks. Why is Dave, 30 years later, still talking about that moment? Well, if you've ever had the experience of being chosen, you know. That feeling that you have been singled out and Someone has said to you, I choose you. I want you. And God comes alongside Jeremiah and comes alongside you and says, I choose you. If no one else chooses you, I choose you. If everybody else leaves you behind, I choose you. But God, you know I can't dribble. Doesn't matter. I choose you. But God, you know I'm going to mess up. Doesn't matter. I choose you. I'm not choosing you because of what you can do. I'm choosing you because of what I can do in you. I'm not choosing you because of all your successes. I'm choosing you because I can lead you somewhere successful. I'm not choosing you because you've got it all together. I'm choosing you because I got it all together. And I love that one little word in there. I don't know if you caught it. It says, before, before you were born, I chose you. I set you apart. Before. In other words, Jeremiah had done nothing to warrant God's choosing, had he? He hadn't preached a message. He hadn't gone out and done something faithful. He hadn't lived a life for God. He hadn't done any of that. This was before any of that. That's such a powerful idea for us to get our heads around. That God chooses you before you've done anything great for him. That God chooses you before you get your act together. That God chooses you before you even deserve it. Before. In other words, God knows what he's getting into with you. He knows exactly what he's getting into with you. We always talk about us counting the costs to get in a relationship with Jesus. You ever heard that phrase, we need to count the cost? It's in the New Testament. You ever consider that God has already counted the cost of getting in a relationship with you? 
He knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're going to turn your back. He knows you're going to go two steps forward and three steps back. And he still wants you. He still says, I choose you. Because before any of that, I chose you. God doesn't qualify us for a life of faithfulness to him and then choose us. God chooses us. And then he qualifies us. As we continue to take steps of obedience and following him. And then... After he says to Jeremiah, you are known and you are chosen, he gives him one last word. He says, before you were born, I set you apart. I chose you and I appointed you. I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. That word appointed there, I appointed you, can also be translated given. I've given you. Jeremiah, I've given you. You're a gift. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I can imagine Jeremiah being like, hey, I don't want to be given. I'm kind of good where I'm at. What if I don't want to be given? God says, doesn't matter. I've already done it. That's what I've chosen you for. I've chosen you for a purpose. And I've given you. To, to, to be a Christian is to be given for others. I want you to hear that again, man. To be a Christian is to be given for others. To live a life where we say it's not about us anymore. It's not about our glory. It's not about our fame. It's not about me building my name. It's not about me building up my empire. It's not about building my own kingdom. It is to be given now to the world. To say to the world, this is about God's glory, God's kingdom, and what God is doing in this world. And God has given you. He is on a rescue mission in this world. God is redeeming and restoring hearts. God is breaking in. His love is breaking into this world. And he is calling you to stop spectating and to begin to participate with him in that redemptive work in this world. He says, I'm giving you. There are no passive observers in this life of being a Christian. Have you ever considered that God has given you to your spouse? You ever thought about it like that? He's actually given you to your spouse? Have you ever considered that God has given you to your children? That you are a gift to them even when they tell you you're not? Have you ever considered that you are a gift that you have been given to your parents? that you've been given to your coworkers, that God says, I give you to your community. God says, I, I, I give you to your school. I give you to your friends. I give you to your team that you're on. I give you to your neighbors. Have you ever considered what that might mean to begin to see ourselves as given, that we are here for one reason and one reason only, to give God glory, to make him famous? Whether that is in your school, your home, personal interactions in the coffee shop, doesn't matter. What if we begin to see our lives and every interaction we have as an opportunity that says, God says, I've given you to these people to give them a small taste of who I am, my glory, and my love. So I ask you again, which race 
do you want to run? You can settle. You can stay in the spectator seats. You can stay on the bleachers. You can do that. You can race with men. You can race against others. Or would you be willing and brave enough to take God up on that invitation and say, or you can run with horses. And if you're going to run with horses, I want you to know, here's where it starts. I know you. I know you and I formed you. And I have uniquely designed you for this life. I have handcrafted you for this. And not only that, you're chosen. You are chosen. Handpicked. And you are given. You are given to make me famous in my glory. And Jeremiah hears this, and Jeremiah's response is fascinating. You know what he says? He says, oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. I mean, he has this incredibly compelling, powerful moment with God, and his first response is, I can't do that. And I love this about the Bible. Why would Jeremiah keep this in? If he's telling the story, leave that part out, right? You would. I would. This is what helps me sometimes know the Bible is true. Because you have all the flaws. You have all the missteps. You have all the doubts. And Jeremiah says, I can't do that. I got it, God. You know me. You've chosen me. You've given me. But I'm way too young. And he does what Moses did. When Moses says, how am I supposed to go do that? And he did what Gideon did. And he did what Saul did. And he did what I've done. And he did what so many of us done. He shrunk back from the calling of God on his life. Because he was scared. Because he had too many excuses. Because he felt he was inadequate. And think what he said. He says, I'm too young. And you have your I'm too statements as well. Some of us have been hiding behind those for years. If we're going to be completely honest, some of us have been hiding behind those I'm too statements for years. Because you know, you've felt the nudges of God in your life. And you've been ignoring it and you've been pushing it down. And now what once was a loud, thunderous call of God on you has become a barely audible whisper. And yet you still know it's there. But you've been hiding behind, I'm too young. Or maybe for you it's, I'm too messed up. Or I've got too much of a past. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too inexperienced. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know enough Bible. And maybe it's not I'm too. Maybe for you, it's an I'm only statement. Like, God, I hear that, but I'm only a teacher. What do you expect? I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, a, like, I'm just a teacher. I'm only a teacher. I'm only a stay-at-home mom. I'm only in landscaping. I'm only a businessman. I'm only a businesswoman. Whatever it might be, we have our I'm too and I'm only statements. And they keep us on the sidelines. And they rob us of the potential to be used by God in powerful ways. And Jeremiah speaks up and says, I can't. I wish I could. But God, I wish you knew me. God says, I do. Remember, Jeremiah? Before. I know you're a mess. I'll clean it up. I know you're inexperienced. I'll give you the experience. I know you're scared. I'll give you the courage. Because look how God responds after Jeremiah resists. 
It says, the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of the people. For I will be with you. And I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know, I love this response that God gives Jeremiah. Because God doesn't remind, after Jeremiah says, I can't do that, I'm too young, I'm too this, I'm too that. God doesn't respond to Jeremiah by reminding Jeremiah of who Jeremiah is. God responds to Jeremiah by reminding Jeremiah of who God is. He says, you've forgotten something, Jeremiah. You have forgotten my power. You have forgotten that I will be with you. Sometimes, I, I don't think we need to be reminded as much of who we are in Christ as much as we, be, we need to be reminded who, of who God is. We don't need to be reminded so much of who we are, but we need to be reminded of who God is. And sometimes I think, guys, for some of us, we need to hear this today. It is not greater faith that you need in your life right now. It is faith in a greater God that you need. Because for some of us, if you remember Jesus, by the way, saying, faith as small as a mustard seed, that's all you need. You don't need greater faith. We need a vision of a greater God. Because a small amount of faith will take us somewhere deep if we're willing to follow a great, powerful God, if we're willing to catch a vision of a God who is bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything we can imagine. And if our vision of that God can become expanded, we will step out in courage to do the things that scare us to death right now. Why? Not because we have it in us, but because we have a God who is bigger and greater and stronger than anything that is within us. How can we keep fighting for a marriage that's on the ropes right now? You know how? It's through the great God that is with us. How can we keep saying no to temptation when everything in us wants to give in? It's by, it's by acknowledging and abiding and sticking close to this great God who is with us. So which race do you want to run? Which race do you want to run? Have you settled for just racing with other people, with men? Have you been stuck on the sidelines? Or do you want to run with horses to step into something greater and more dynamic than you've been experiencing? And God says, if you do, I will be with you. And it won't be easy. It never is. But what were you expecting? Easy? <laughs> no. But it will be so much better. You are known. You are chosen. And you are given. So may you leave from here, creation 2017, and may you live like that's true. And may you leave from here, creation 2017. And may you never settle for just racing a foot race with men. 
Because the only thing that will ever do for you is to run with the horses. Let me pray for you. God, I just want to, we, we, we collectively want to say thank you that you know us. Thank you that you have chosen us. And thank you that you have given us. God, that question rings out in our hearts. The same question you issued to Jeremiah all those years ago. How will we, if, if we satisfy with racing with men, how will we ever race with horses? God, we want something better. We want something greater. We want to tap into the life that you have called us into. God, we don't want to get to the end of our days and say, yeah, that was okay. We don't want to get to the end of our days and stand before you and you say, why'd you sit it out? I had so much, something so much better. Why'd you stay on the sidelines? So God, would you please move us into a life of participating in your mission for your glory and your fame and in your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks so much, guys, for spending time. Hope to get to meet you down in the merchandise tent. Thank you.